Yo, Chad, Chad, what's up, guys? Yo, yo, hey guys, Chad Cow. How you guys doing? It's like a weird vibe because it's like it's Thursday, but we're doing these spaces now. <laughs> I kind of liked it that it was like, all right, it's the end of the week. I'm tired. Like I, I was uh, dumb enough where I had like a meeting. I'm I'm living in like Asia right now, but all the meetings are still in like Western time, and so I had like a meeting at like 1 a.m. my time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna push through it and just get up for. I'm not, I'm not gonna sleep. I'm just gonna do the spaces and. Wasn't the smart move. Was not. Dang. So you're on basically like an all nighter? All 14 nighter, yeah. <laughs> wow, the devotion. Yeah, that's pretty. You should have just went to sleep, dude. I don't, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, I, like, I, I got done with that meeting and wanted, like, it was like two or something. And, like, you know, I have a couple more things yeah. I'm going to take care of real quick. And then it was like 3 30. And I'm just like, you know what? It's already 3 30. It's only a couple hours. Might as well just push through. <laughs> Yeah. What, what can you do in Japan at, uh, at three in the morning? Is anything open? Write code for ThorChain. That's what you can do. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Well, that makes it... <laughs> no, they actually... They... It makes it even more special. You're, you're so devoted that, that, that you're here to give the updates on, on no sleep. Yeah, so I mean, there's been a couple like pretty big things. I mean, first being Ledger Live with uh, with ThorSwap, which has been like a really long time in the making. It, it, it's it's cool to see it finally go live. I know that ThorSwap team's been working on Ledger Live for a hot minute, and like finally pushed it through. You could you could make cross chain swaps on on Ledger, and it, it's been like the result of a, of a ton of work that went into this, and a ton of things behind the scenes, like including having Ledger have to like you know redo certain like parameters and things that you can you can send to uh just like make it even possible like this this was not possible like you know six months ago or anything like that and yeah it's cool to see it like finally there and i mean obviously in like its early form but uh i think we'll we'll continue to see it evolve just like a lot of the other really big integrations The, the big teams always tend to you know start small and then kind of build up and move slowly and just build out the the feature set so yeah it's amazing to see and, and and yeah this is just the first step uh getting the foot in the door that integration um should be getting even better over time but um yeah people can go play with it right within within ledger live under discover and find thor swap it's relatively limited right now just as far as what chains you can swap from i think just btc and atom at the moment so that's why on the thor swap side we're kind of waiting to do like a big marketing push until it's a bit more fleshed out but um yeah you know it's awesome to see like this first iteration in there and then that is going to get more expanded into supporting hopefully all the chains and then hopefully this is just foot in the door to get it just as part of the swap feature in the future i mean that's like you know nothing no, no announcements on that front but that's obviously the goal that everyone's pushing for so uh having it under discovery is a, is a really good start Yeah, hoping that once we have streaming swaps and we can do uh, much larger trades at a low uh, slip fee, that like it 
getting integrated into the uh, the swaps part of Ledger would be hopefully easier, just because we become much more. We become like the best price execution, like bar none at that point, right? So maybe at that point, it'd be easier to to, to slip in there. Yeah, what's interesting about the way Ledger does it is it's similar to Edge Wallet, where they actually separate out the providers by centralized and decentralized. So if you go and like you swap Bitcoin ETH, it'll show you a bunch of providers. Like uh, I, I don't know, name name, just pick your your service provider for you know cross chain swaps. That's a centralized company, and it, maybe it's on there, maybe not. But it, you know, it gives you a bunch of quotes from different routes, and then decentralized is like there is no option to uh, like you know because there's nobody obviously besides us so it's like now the integration is like in and it's uh it's in its like early form then uh you know we can work to be the the decentralized route that's there in like the actual app itself which probably drives a lot more volume than like being in a discover tab where you have to actually go to the uh you know you have to go in the discover section and say like oh thor swap like what's that and like check it out obviously that's really good for like uh just just thor chains like recognition and just kind of like you know status slash like perceivability in in the space just by being like you know kind of front and center there uh but once it gets into the actual like swap section then that then that's where we need to be obviously and uh yeah with with streaming swaps then that just means we can we'll probably just beat out all the centralized routes too so (laughs) then we then we just get it all but uh yeah, I, I, we're we're pretty close on like actually being able to deliver like the the like the full featured integration. So it's like it's just an iterative process. Like you got you got to start somewhere and then work your way up. You can't just uh, like teams like this just don't work like that um, with just being able to ship everything just all, all at once. Uh, and there's just a lot more work that's required on like on their end, like to even put in like Ethereum, for example. As a, as a swappable asset so we're gonna get there i wonder like that the the amount that the swap tab on ledger live must get like huge amounts of volume right i can only assume it's like a logical assumption to make you think it's more than like, wallet or less more i would guess I would, I would bet more but i obviously don't know i'm just kind of like pulling out of this the crack of my ass but uh I can only imagine that that gets a lot of volume and if we can get integrated in that thing and all the different like, you know, swap pairs and stuff and we have better price execution than everybody else in that in that centralized list, like that would be, that'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I need to do some comparisons and see like how good their their quotes actually are. Because when I compare most services, like unless I'm talking, you're talking about like you know going on like Coinbase Pro or something like that, like you know where you're getting where you know you're going to get like probably best execution like anywhere. Uh, when, when you're talking about just like like all the other routes where you know there's dozens, hundreds of them, uh, our liquidity beats out on the most important routes like Bitcoin to ETH, like almost all all relevant swap sizes like basically anywhere from like you know three to five hundred dollars to like a couple thousand which is really like the sweet spot of liquidity fees but also not like getting wrecked on slippage so no i I think we'll actually uh beat coinbase uh maybe not coinbase pro i'm not really sure what their like um fee model is off the top of my head and i can we can look it up later but like i'm pretty sure we'll probably beat everybody including coinbase pro most likely 
maybe yeah, not with OTT streaming swaps. Either. I'm saying without streaming swaps. We're already, oh, without, we're already there with, not, without yeah, streaming swaps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah gotcha. And you guys uh, shift something else today at, at ThorSwap, right? I saw it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, just shipping, shipping, shipping. Uh, the other thing is Trezor integration. So, uh, yeah, just uh, you can you can use Trezor on, on ThorSwap. I believe it's four chains starting out. So that's pretty cool for all the Trezor user, users. Um, you know, now you don't have to move out to a different wallet or whatever to, to use ThorSwap. So that's pretty great. And a uh, similar thing there, you know, hopefully, hopefully over time we could work on, work on that one too. And, you know, become the swap function within that would be epic, but this is a good little, good little first step on that side too. So <clears throat> yeah, that's live. Uh, so if you're a treasure user, definitely give it a shot and, uh, you know, give any feedback if there's any issues, things like that, but should be, should be solid and good to go. Uh, there's a, there was a thread from ThorSwap too, with some, some details on that we'll probably do a tutorial here pretty soon but it's all it's all straightforward so yeah just uh i remember when when we didn't even have ledger remember like <laughs> when that was that was uh so uh so rumored for so long and, and and now we got both the big ones so that's that's pretty exciting yeah that is super cool I, I like having all the major hardware wallets i mean it, it just shows like Obviously, ThorSwap is just like shippers, and they just are, are always like putting out like new stuff that people actually like want and need, and actually adds the like the experience of the of the product and just the usability. So, more options is always going to be better. Yeah, and all these things, you know, all, all these things that get added to ThorSwap, they're part of SwapKit. So, any any integrators that that use SwapKit to get all the ThorChain functionality, like they're also getting this, you know, so they. Right away, they get wallet support for chains they might not have any experience with it. They get, uh, you know, they get all these integrations that have already been built, so hardware wallet support and everything like that. So it's not just for ThorSwap, but really uh, any anyone that ends up using SwapKit gets the same benefit. So hopefully, we'll see that in a lot of places. Yeah, speaking of SwapKit, uh, someone some someone from uh, LiFi dropped some drop some fire on last Friday. So I, I think a lot of people didn't really catch it uh, that LiFi announced the, uh, the, their integration with, with uh, ThorChain slash SwapKit. So that's like <laughs> an, another huge, um, huge protocol that's just um, on the uptake and, uh, you know, going to be using all this liquidity. So they, I don't think there's I, anything further than that, but yeah. I know they confirmed ThorChain. I don't, I don't know if they confirmed SwapKit, so I, I I just want to make sure we don't uh, put out anything that's not. I'm right. not I'm not unless unless you know something I don't know, yeah, we'll but see. I don't I don't I'm not sure if that was for sure, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But either so, way, but great yeah. great to see great to see more big players. You know, yeah, let's just keep the ball rolling. Yeah, LiFi obviously being absolutely huge. Like they're they're the they're the guys that do uh, the swaps in MetaMask and you know and like that realm of uh, of things uh, EVM only, but um, like that's something that we were talking about earlier in this week in, the, in that discussion with uh, Chainflip and and Maya just talking about like aggregators. And there's so many like big ERC twenty aggregators like LiFi, PowerSwap, OpenOcean, and they're like they're absolutely huge, but uh, they're all just ERC twenties and they're all just like fighting over the same market share. One inch as part of that group too. 
right? So uh, once they start making the transition over to multi-chain, then it becomes a lot more interesting of a game, I, I think, in, in terms of like uh, like the, the larger vision of like moving everything towards uh, decentralized platforms and using aggregators to find the best routes between chains. And uh, Swapkit obviously being like one of the major, the, the only player in that space right now, right? Like it, there's no one else that's even doing that. I, uh, R- uh, Rango, I guess. Uh, Rango and Swapkit being the only two that are really multi-chain, like UTXO, EVM, everything. For sure. And and with Swapkit and ThorSwap, like up to so far, at least, like, you know, so much of it, one of the key things is like keeping to the one transaction thing, right? Um, and that's one of the kind of the key differences between, say, Rango versus ThorSwap and Swapkit. So, you know, yeah, any of the, any app or whatever integrating this is like kind of getting that like really seamless functionality for their their wallet or DEX or, or whatever and just doing, you know, one signature swaps from, uh, you know, getting closer to anything to anything, right? So lots more rolling out. Yeah, dude, anything to anything is like kind of the goal here, right? We're, just, we're inching our way towards that, that, uh, that goal line. Yeah, Mogark, he was dropping some alpha about uh, potential uh, L2s and stuff, like using Swapkit, uh, stringing together Thorchain with something with like Stargate to then go to all these different L2s either direction in a single swap. So I know that's being worked on, which would re- be really cool because that like really bolts on another functionality to Thorchain. So that that would get a lot more tokens right away and some of the biggest DeFi markets that are out there like uh i mean pre- pretty much all the l2s not all the ETH, like i don't actually know w- which ones are doing the most and which ones aren't but i know that the market is just huge on ETH l2s in terms of like the amount of trades going on and people swapping and just like you know dexes exactly. and burps and everything like <laughs> that's where a lot of the volume is totally yeah yeah that that market's been been really hot a lot of activity so yeah you know to be able to go from some like arbitrum or whatever token to to and from native bitcoin in a single transaction and then that being just part of swap kit and then that being able to be integrated anywhere pretty cool so uh what's what's new chad anything uh you want to talk about savers yield which i i believe so that that vote went through to uh, basically change savers yield to be a function of what the savers utilization is. So if the utilization is 50%, then I believe the savers get 50% of the yields that they, that they do today. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think it, it, well, it depends on like the synth utilization on a per pool basis. But um, I think like if you're in the Bitcoin um, pool, which is like the largest by, by good margin, uh, I think your yield just got cut down by 50% from what it was like yesterday. I think if I remember correctly, hopefully I do. Uh, and so that extra yield that your that savers are not getting is going to the LPs instead. And the part of the, the point of it was to kind of like to get some of the uh, DDC savers to exit the system. Uh, we haven't seen it happen quite yet, but it hasn't even been 24 hours yet. So we have to give it more time than that. But yeah, that's basically the change that happened yesterday that was brought on by the uh, by the notes. 
Yep. And I believe it's based off of the, so it's based off the synth utilization. So like if the Bitcoin synth utilization is at 50%, that means it's, you know, whatever the, the, you know how the rate was hedged half of the yield before now it would be half of half of that at 50%. So it's, you know, somewhere around 25% of the, of the yields going to savers. Uh, and then if the utilization grows to hundred percent, then it's, it's 0% going to the savers. So it's, it's kind of, it's dynamic just based on what the utilization of that pool is. Uh, so like if you're in a, if, if you're in a, a savers position that is in a really low synth utilization pool, like BNB or, uh, maybe Doge possibly, I don't, I don't know if the top, probably AVEX, um, all those will see a lot less reduction in the total amount because the synth utilization is pretty low overall. Uh, so that's just to, it's definitely to relieve some of the strain on dual LPs and it's just, you know, just kind of balance out the uh, incentives a little bit. Yep, exactly. Uh, lending, anything you want? you want to touch on on lending block science is still doing their stuff, but is it any update on like what's been going on on that end? Um, I mean, right now what, what I've seen so far is um, a document that, that it kind of like just go over all the um, failure scenarios or risk scenarios that the feature uh, has, which is, you know, all that's been kind of public knowledge for a while now, but it's good to have them all this kind of like written out in a clear document. I think that's the, what I've seen thus far. Um, they've done some preliminary kind of research on recommend, recommendations for the configuration of lending on Start. Um, and so we're kind of going through our conversations and debates around that topic as well. Um, we're probably still, you know, close to a month away from, from them being done with their, with their process. That's what it's currently looks like today. So I don't think we'll see lending anytime you know, in the next month, but after that, we should hopefully start getting the, uh, the soft launch going. Cool. Uh, were they recommending parameters for the soft launch or are they only recommending parameters for the, like the regular feature launch? That's a good question. I didn't actually, the, the numbers they threw out so far, I, I didn't even ask them if it's hard or soft related. I just started asking questions of how they, how they came to those numbers and, why not this and why not that and what happens to this and all that and this kind of stuff. So that, but I don't know, actually, I don't know what the numbers are soft or hard, to be honest. Cool. Uh, yeah. So we'll wait for some more updates there. I'm also interested to, to talk about some streaming swap stuff because, you know, it, it, we're probably like two releases out from streaming swaps. So maybe it'd be good to actually just like, because I conceptually understand like how streaming swaps um, work and like, you know, what they do. Maybe we should just explain really quickly, like what streaming swaps are and then like functionally, like how it works. Like, cause uh, like, you know, what, what needs to be added to like a, a ThorChain memo? Like what, what parameters can you specify and what just like gets determined automatically? Like what, what's the like end experience uh, like of the user? So you, you think you can just like give a rundown of uh some streaming swap yeah, stuff yeah. just to kind of yeah get the overall primer yeah so streaming swaps is this concept that like if you were to take the network today as it is now and you have a, like some large trade that you that you want to make if you break your trade up into smaller trades 
right? If you do it into like two trades, you basically would pay half the fees that you would pay if you did it one single trade. If you did in like 10 swaps instead of one swap, you'd probably you pay like 90% less in swap fees, right? And so um, this is something you could always been able to do since the beginning, but the change is that it allows you to accomplish this without actually managing those individual trades and swaps where you don't have to manually extend a transaction every once in a while and so forth and so on. Um, and you want to do those trades like you don't want to do them all like within five seconds of each other. Like you want them all to be done like maybe a minute apart from each other just because you want to give arbitrage bots the ability to arbitrage in the opposite direction of your trade to kind of rebalance the pool so that you get good price execution along the way. Right. If you just, if you just blindly trade every trade like sequentially, then you would you wouldn't get very good price execution because you keep on pushing the price uh, in a direction that's not beneficial for you. So the first component is just understanding that like if by trading, make, taking one trade, breaking the many trades, you get you pay less in fees. And the second part is that the network basically does this part for you. And so you do a trade, the network saves it into the swap queue and then like does like little mini trades along the way. And then at the end of it all, it sends you the resulting, um, you know, BDC or ETH or Atom or whatever the other asset is. Um, you can still have uh, trade targets. So you can say like, oh, here's one BDC. I want to get out, you know, 100 ETH on the other side or whatever, some number, whatever it is. And uh, if you, you will try to, to do that to the best of its ability. And if it can't satisfy that, like that ratio between the input asset and the output asset, it will do a refund or even a partial refund. Like the first few trades were successful at that ratio, but then the, there was a price change in the market. ETH went, you know, uh, up in value or something like this or something. And then all of a sudden the rest of the trades can't, uh, you know, get at that specific ratio between input and output asset. And so that'll do like a bifurcation, meaning that it'll send you some of the ETH send you some of the BDC back as a, as a refund. That's kind of like a partial execution in that scenario. Um, and so when you're doing the stream stuff, there's really two like attributes or two uh, parameters that you can specify. One is like the frequency of how often you want uh, like each individual trade to happen. I think probably the recommendation is like 10 blocks, which is approximately a minute. But if you want to do um, like a, a dollar cost averaging thing of like you want to make a, a trade many times over the next 24 hours and you want to do like every hour make a trade or something like this, you can do that if you want to do that. Um, and then the other parameters you can set specify is like the quantity of swaps that you want to execute on. Uh, so the more swaps you do, the cheaper the fees, but the longer the time takes for the, for the swap to, 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 to happen. Um, there are limits in terms of you can't just put in like a million swap quantity like that wouldn't the network wouldn't allow it uh, it has a minimum like slippage on each individual like mini trade which is i think it's going to be set to probably to five basis points so you if you have like a small trade you can't break that up into a thousand trades you have to have a larger trade to do a, a thousand swaps so to speak um but all in all this basically allows um people that have like you know whales to come in um with you know Thirty thousand, fifty thousand dollars, or millions of dollars—literally multi-million-dollar swaps—and trade that on Thorchain with a five percent, a five basis, uh, five basis points uh, slip, not five percent, but five basis points. Um, so that would be just like you know, best price execution for to buying and selling Bitcoin and Ethereum and other blue chip assets like overnight on Thorchain.
Yeah, dude, we're also pumped for streaming swaps. I, there's just a couple, like, small implementation things that I'm, like, wondering about, especially, like, because uh, the real unknown is just, like, what happens in the time period of, like, you execute the swap, and then the, the swap completes over, you know, over several hours, possibly. So, like, you mentioned, you know, refunds and, and partial refunds. So, when you specify a a limit, um, so what what happens if you know your you know the swap the swap is streaming and it dips below that limit? Are those are those fills like partially executed or are they like th- those aren't? But then if the price returns back above that uh, above that threshold, then it is is it's just aborted. Like what actually happens when the when the price changes like out of your favor and you have a limit specified? Right. So let's just say you do a streaming swap and let's just say that there's 10 swaps occurring within this streaming swap. The first three trades went through just fine because the price is, you know, hasn't shifted very much. And then, you know, a minute later, the price dives down. Right. And, and you no longer get that ratio that you're that you're looking for. And so then the next two trades fail because of the, they don't get that that price execution that you're that you're looking for. And then a moment later, the price goes back up to some other, to the previous value or higher or whatever the hell it is. And then it's able to execute those last three trades or last five trades or whatever the, the number might be um, to like get the execution. So then at the end of those 10 trades, you know, let's just say seven of them were successful and three of them failed. So the ones that the three that failed, you'd get back the Bitcoin that you sent in to begin with. And the seven that were successful, you'd get the ETH that you wanted to get on the other side. So you get like this like partial fulfillment of like, we're able to get to get you this, but we're not able to get you that. And so you, you get back your Bitcoin, you get back, and then you get your whatever ETH you were able to get out of that scenario. Got it. So if it dips below the limit, then just that fill isn't executed and you just keep the, the in asset. And then right. if and then if it goes back in your favor, then the the swaps just continue. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I suspect that like for most traders, because of that five basis points like minimum, like most traders won't really need more than like you know like even ten swaps is a lot of swaps. Like you can get you know a hundred thousand dollars or a couple hundred thousand dollars with with ten swaps, like that's pretty darn good. And you can, you will probably satisfy the vast majority of the traders on Thorchain, which is, which is with, within 10 swaps, which is only going to be like 10 minutes. Right. So like the price changing during a streaming swap is definitely possible within a 10 minute period. Yeah. You know, it can, it cannot like, it's not, not too fast of a, not too uh, long of a time rather. If you're doing like, you know, a $5 million trade, which that would take, you know, um, maybe like, Every million dollars is like four hours, right? According to our current depths of the network, or something like close to that. If you were doing like a five million trade, it would take you, you know, quite a bit of time, right? So it would take you basically like twenty hours or so, or whatever the hell it might be, or or I'm not sure if it's four hours or three hours or whatever it is. But like, then you can get that kind of significant price changes over that like long period of time, which case you would get partial fulfillments. But if you're like if you're dollar cost averaging into it, then your your trade slip would be set to zero, right? Because you're not really trying to, you're just kind of like following the market at that point. You're not really trying like a specific trade of it, like I get in this, right. get out that specific numbers. You're just like I'm just going to dollar cost average, just buying in whatever the price is, just following the market. 
And so for those people just put like zero as their trade target, like now you're DCAA, right? Now you're just like, we're just going to follow the market and like 100% of your trades will basically uh, be successful probably, unless there's like, you know, trading is paused or something like this during the process. Yeah, so if you have like a really large, so let's say you wanted to swap $10 million, but you like obviously there's there's a 24 hour limit so that's probably too, that might that might be too big for a 24 hour limit let's say you don't care about paying a little bit more for slip so you're just like oh yeah well i'll pay 80 base points in, in slip and can can you change the the execution time and like the sizing and and uh and things so you could still yeah. you could put through like basically whatever size and just pay the slip that you want right so if if you had a 10 million dollars trade you could tell the network, say, I just want to do this in 10 trades, right? And if you do it in 10 trades, you'll get a 90% reduction in fees, which will still be like significant. It would probably be considerably higher than, than, than five basis points. But you can do, you can, you can do a 10, you can do a billion dollar trade hypothetically, although it's obviously it's unrealistic, but like hypothetically it's possible, right? And you can just do it in a hundred trades or some number like this, a few hundred trades, but it's about a 99% reduction in swap fees. And so maybe that's good enough for you. You don't really need to get five basis points. You're okay with getting eight or you're okay with getting 12 or you're okay with getting 25 because 25 is what most of the industry gives them anyway, right? Like change lead and change now. I mean, Coinbase yep. does like close to seven or, or 10% basis points. So like if you're okay with getting 10 basis points, then you can go ahead and opt in for that and get you know a larger quantity of funds put through or, or just shorten the time, right, of it. So like, you're really just trading two things. Like you're saying, I want more, I want a, a slower execution, but better like slip fees, or I want like my trade to be now more immediate and paid more in fees, right? And you can just balance those two things as much as, as you want. And you can also just say like, just put a flag on like, hey, just stream this swap and it just kind of takes care of all that complexity for you, right? So you have the option to say, right. to, to specify which or not. So if you, in the actual memo itself, where you specify a trade target today, you can just specify a trade target and then put slash 10, 10 representing like the number of like block interval, like every 10 blocks to do a trade. And that's it. The network will actually compute for you. Like what is the optimal amount of trade volume Right or uh, number of swaps that you can do for given this size and given this these pools blah 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 these things and you don't even have to calculate it yourself you can just like say slash ten and then just like fire it off and the network will just like do the best it can to, to, to give you the best price execution possible. Yeah, I, I hope we get that out soon. I mean, I would love to see it. <laughs> Dude, I would love to see it too. Like all of a sudden, like Torchain becomes like the place we can, you know, just the best place to buy like crypto. <laughs> I mean, like it's kind of what it yeah. becomes. Like, like you can even if you're like this some sort of gigantic whale with millions of dollars, you can make. It's probably cheaper to trade on Torchain than it is to even use OTC dealers sometimes, right? Like that's nuts. That's crazy. So, Cal, you said it's only a couple of releases away. Does that mean it's, is it on stage net? Is there testing or like, is it good to go? What's going on on, on like on that side? 
Chad can speak to that better. I like I, I just know that like it's not gonna be in the, whatever the next version is. So like you know, I guess tentatively for the next next version of, of Thornode. Yeah, I, so I'm not sure what's gone into the testing. The code itself is slated to go into uh, version one fifteen. We're on one thirteen right now or one fourteen is coming out in the near future. Um and so it's, the code's probably gonna be getting going in into one fifteen. And then when it actually gets launched, and then it will we'll launch it on StageNet relatively quickly, um, I'm assuming. And then it'll go through its testing procedures and processes, all this kind of stuff. And then when it gets launched on mainnet for build to actually utilize, like that's something we don't really quite know the answer to that question quite yet. But hopefully the code will be, you know, on mainnet and available to run, you know, within, I don't know, two to three weeks. Yeah, this, at this point, it looks like streaming swaps will be the next major feature to land because, uh, I mean, BSC landed, but it, we just can't launch the network because there's no space under the security cap. And then lending is undergoing this economic audit, which, uh, like, you know, obviously we don't want to rush things there. Yeah, by the way, like, the, the streaming swap concept, like, is, is not just for, like, for, for, like, swaps itself. But it's also can be embedded into other aspects of the network to make it other aspects, you know, um, more affordable in a sense. So, like, for example, uh, streaming into a savers position or streaming out of a savers position, for example, uh, order books can be um, be partially fulfilled and be cheaper to, act, to like, trade or uh, orders on an order book. With, you know, like it, it actually enhances a bunch of other features within the protocol now that a new primitive has been is being established so v1 will probably not have those things i'm assuming integration into savers and like other stuff um v1 will just like launch it simple clean uh focused you know not try add too many bells and whistles and that kind of stuff but but once we have that basic primitive working in the protocol we can start like pulling upon that to utilize to like kind of empower other aspects or other protocols in the network Cool. Is there any other major uh, new things you guys wanted to talk about? If anyone else wants to come hop up on stage, uh, we can let people up for questions, but not sure if there's any major new developments. Are you poking at something, Kyle? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, is, 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 Chad, is there, is there anything else you're thinking about? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> No, I, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so, so, um, so I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about this topic just because it's not uh, fully fleshed out yet, and 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 devs and and people are still kind of like um, working on it. Um, but there's just kind of this new concept that's being floated around amongst the devs, to, and and some work's being done to to do some research on it and its viability in these kind of things. But what's what's fascinating about this concept is that it basically allows um, for anybody to be able to contribute to the security of a network. So um, right now, it's really established for people who have a high amount of rune, like three hundred thousand or, or, or greater, and somebody who can run complex infrastructure, with Kubernetes clusters, and this kind of stuff. 
And that's not really like a large quantity of people in our community that can do that, uh, to, to be able to have the skill sets to, to both the capital requirements and the technical requirements. And that's just created a real like barrier for, for scaling the security of the network uh, efficiently because there's just not a lot of people to pull, pull upon to, to do that kind of work in the matter of speaking. Right. And it's been a long kind of like asked or one of the most asked features of, you know, in Torchain's history from what I've gathered uh, is just like, how do we get, can I bond up to somebody else's node and I can make an, you know, earn some rune in my rune myself, but I, I don't need to have 300,000 rune and I don't need to have, know how to run Linux boxes or servers and this kind of stuff. And we've always kind of shied away from that because we, we couldn't figure out a way to be able to do that, but also maintain economic security, not break it. Because when you, when you just bond with somebody else's node, in some effect, you're, you are giving them a coupon to attack the network, right? It's now cheaper for them to, to do a civil attack and potentially make a profit just because you're giving them your capital to use to attack the network in a matter of speaking. And so we were always kind of very hesitant to do something like that because it was just, you know, it, it reduced security rather than adding to it. Uh, but people have been like, nonetheless, been, you know, knocking on our doors and, and, calling out on Twitter and discords and stuff like, I want to earn room in my room. How do I do that? And we've always been hesitant to do so until we figure out a way that actually makes sense. And so we've come up with a new idea of like how this can be done, where you can provide your, you can lock up your room. Uh, you secure some layer one asset like Bitcoin, for example, um, on, in your own wallet. And it can be, a, it can be multi-sig, it can be a ledger, it can be a trust wallet, it can be, you know, arbitrarily anything you want doesn't really matter uh and so the funds are sent to your wallet and you hold it there and you don't do anything with it you don't you don't mix your current wallet with this wallet this is a completely separate wallet for your this specific purpose you don't mix and match here because you'll you hurt yourself if you do but you just basically hold it there you don't do anything with it right and as long as the money stays there or goes it sends back to the network itself to one of the asgard vaults then you've got nothing to worry about other than liquidation risk, which is another topic we'll talk about a little later. But, but by doing so, you are taking funds away from the Asgard vaults, which means that a person who wants to cyber attack the network, the amount of value that they can steal is limited to the Asgard vaults and not your ledger or not your trust wallet and that you have you know, basically offline storage in a literal sense, offline storage. And so like the ability for, for somebody to cyber attack the network and steal all the Asgards, the value of doing so has just been reduced because instead of having all the 100% of the PDC in the Asgard vaults, it's now, let's just say it's 50-50, right? Between cold, cold wallets and, and hot wallets. Hot wallets being the Asgards, cold wallets being, um, you know, anybody who wants to earn rune in the rune and, and not have a lot of rune or not have a lot of technical talents or skill sets to run servers and such. So... This is actually providing a significant value for the protocol because it means we can scale up the pools and we can scale up the depth in the TVL and the security of the, of the network in a way that anybody can participate who wants to participate, not just the rich, not just, just the tech savvy, but just basically anybody in this community who wants to do that can contribute to that, that system. And that's like significant. I think that, that, that's been a problem that like I've been thinking about on this protocol for like years now, literally years. I've been, I've been working on this for, for like four plus years now. It's been a long time I've been on this thing. And I've never been able to figure out a way to, to, to do something like this. And we've, I think we finally cracked it after all these years of how we can accomplish this in a safe way. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to see the community's response to it once we actually release the, the document that kind of lines out the plan or how it's all structured, how it's mathematically um, designed and all these, all, these after, all these things. And then people can start responding back and, and kind of asking questions and that kind of stuff. Yeah, dude, I can't wait to see it written down and then like actually dig into it. Thanks for sharing. You, you didn't need to share that, by the way. I, I didn't. Mean, I didn't mean to pressure you into sharing anything that wasn't ready. No, it's all right. Obviously, it's all right. early stuff. So it's there. It's really. It's like we're we're still working on it, which I I didn't. There's no public article yet, but like, I'm just. I, I want to talk about it. Like, I'm super excited about it. Like, this is this is like this is key. Like this is going to help us scale the security and the and the pools and their depth like quite significantly. So it's just like I'm I'm super you know excited about the concept but like i, I want to like caveat it and say that like that this is you know it's a new idea we're still working we're working off the kinks so no matter speaking getting more voices and, and more opinions about like what's right about it what's wrong about it what can we fix blah 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 we're still like you know doing our research so don't hold my my feet to the fires later on like we might find there's an issue with it and we, we can't go down that road that's possible we might find that it works great or might find that it doesn't work at all. Like who knows, right? It's still going through its process. It's looking very good thus far from what we've, the people we've spoken to and the research we've done so far. So it's looking quite positive, but uh, just caveat to say that, you know, that can change with, you know, new viewpoints, new input from different team members and outside the team as well. Wow. Super exciting. Dang, yeah, I can't can't wait to hear more how this develops and and read it written up. Very very cool. Yeah, I just don't want to get like yeah. too ahead of myself because like you know <laughs> there's so many other things that we need to yeah that we need to ship and get out the door, which is good. Like, uh, all right, I need to we need to Same. step back. I don't even relax. I, I, uh, like a million questions popped up in my mind, and I'm like, I, like I, I don't even want to ask him yet because it's <laughs> let, let's let it get uh, cooked a little bit. And uh, then we'll oh, get to all, you, the, you all can, the details. You can ask your questions; it's fine. Like, and I'll do the best I can to answer them. If I don't have an answer for them, I'll tell you I don't have an answer for them. But you're welcome to answer, ask. Well, so you're saying like essentially you stake like as a user, you stake your rune into the network, and then you are yeah. securing other assets. Like you're you're like literally you right. have the, like I have the key to the keys right. to some Bitcoin. So then, right. like how how does how is that liquidity like that Bitcoin liquidity still like accessible to the network if, yeah, if i'm so, holding the keys yeah good, good question so this was one of the difficult things to solve in the, in the sense of like the original design of what we call vault nodes by the way this whole idea of what we're talking about came from our last spaces where mogarki came onto this space and said hey what about vault nodes i'm like oh yeah i completely forgot about those vault nodes and then i started thinking more about it and i'm like Oh, wait, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Uh, but yes, one of the issues initially was that that you would run some servers, right? Uh, Thornode um, plus um, Bifrost plus player chain daemon. And then the network would just like query your node and say, hey, you know, send some Bitcoin to this Bitcoin address way over here, you know, to Mogarki's address or something like this. And, and so you had to keep the servers online so they had instant access to that capital and could send it out to some, you know, BC1 address or something like this uh, arbitrarily. And the problem with that idea is that, that it, it still didn't, it still kept high technical requirements to do that. Like you still needed to run that infrastructure, that servers 
you need to have uptime, like all these things. And that just kind of like, in some ways, didn't quite accomplish the goal of what we wanted to do, which is to make it accessible to everybody, not just like make it accessible to, to technically savvy individuals. Um, and so, so how do we deal with this scenario? So we wanted to specifically that, 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 that the network itself does not have direct access to that capital, which sounds bad at its, at its like face, but let me explain why it's actually a good thing. The reason why that's a good thing is because if somebody were to cyber attack the network, and had the ability to call, you know, Chad Thoreau's, you know, service, whatever, server, and like have them send back to him, send back to the network. Well, then that doesn't really accomplish the goal of like, you know, securing assets, because in the end, if you cyber attack the network, all the cold or vault nodes, whatever, would get their capital stolen. And then, then what are you going to do? Like it's at that point, it kind of defeats the point, right? But if they can't actually directly access the capital, then there's no way for them to like, hey, to call Torch, uh, Chad Thoreau's you know, ledger wallet and say, hey, send me some, send me all the Bitcoin you got. You just can't do it. Like it's literally offline storage. So then, how do we get the like the capital back into from cold from from you know Chad Thoreau's ledger to to the Asgard vault, which is like kind of the hot wallets, right? How do we do that? And so here, it's just actually using just economic incentives. And so the yield that you that you have as running one of these cold wallets is relational to two things. One is how much of the of a particular asset we call Bitcoin, for example, how much Bitcoin is in the hot wallets versus how much Bitcoin is in the cold wallets, right? And so there's a balance between these two places, right? If there's too little on the hot, then the cold wallets make less money. If it's too much, uh, well, if it's almost everything's in the hot, very little is in the cold, then the people in the cold make a lot more money. That's the first component to it. But the second component to it is that that you can get into a place where things can get into a negative interest rates, right? So if you get to a place where the collateralization ratio between the, the room that you secure and the Bitcoin that you're holding in your ledger, if it drops below a certain amount, let's just call it like 150% like ratio between the two of those things, then you're going to start getting negative interest rates and you're starting to basically lose your bond. Right. And so either you're going to take the Bitcoin you have in your wallet and send it back to the network, right, just by making a transaction, signing a transaction with your ledger and sending it back to the Asgard vault, which you can do arbitrarily whenever the hell you want. Or you can just bond up some more rune and, and increase your, your rune side and, and everything's fine. So the economics are still there to push people to, to have the, uh, the, the, um, the layer one assets be sent back and the network needs and it also can happen like negative interest rates when the hot wallet becomes smaller than the cold wallet, right? There's like a little like balance that we can strike by a Mamir uh, configuration where we want, say we want 50% cold and 50% hot, right? And so if the colds become greater than the hot in terms of the number of BDC that each are holding, then you get to negative interest rates, which means that people who are holding cold are like, you know what, I'm losing money at this point. I better, you know, send back the Bitcoin to the hot wallet and then, you know, uh, and close, partially close or fully close my position as a cold wallet, right? And so you have to like actively manage your position, but it's not like, it's more like passively managing than like actively managing. It's not like you have to run a server to manage this, although you could do that if you wanted to do that. And I'm sure some people will do that. And those people will actually will um, probably allow uh, bond providers so you can bond to somebody else's um, cold wallet if you want to do that and not have them worry about like nine months might, might do that potentially. 
But anyways, like, so when we get too low on the hot, so we don't have enough hot wallet, we have too much cold, the, in, the negative interest rate just kind of forces everybody to start dumping their BTC back into the hot wallet until we're back to the back to balance. Did that answer your question, Thoreau? Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll take me probably another one or two times to fully get it. But yeah, it makes sense. And um, yeah, it sounds really, really cool. People should be aware, like, you can get liquidated here, right? You're, you're providing rune, you're receiving some layer one asset, like Ether or whatever. And if the value of those things get too out of skew, the network will liquidate you. That, that's why the network has the ability to claw back the Bitcoin whenever it needs to, right? Like, even if, like, Chad Thoreau had a, some Bitcoin in his ledger and Chad Thoreau got hit by, a, you know, a bus tomorrow, right? And the Bitcoin is basically locked up forever. The network still has the capability of pulling that BDC out of your wallet, metaphorically speaking, and put it back in the network through a liquidation process. We take the we take the room that you had given us, we put some of it back into the pool, and the remaining gets put into the, to the reserve, and that causes arbitrage boss to pull the Bitcoin back into the network. So even though we might get a different UTXO, in a matter of speaking, the same number of Bitcoin is still in the network. So even in a scenario where like Chat the Rose become completely you know, offline refuses to do anything at all. The network always has the ability to, to, to pull back the Bitcoin if it needs to. Good to know uh, in case I get hit by a bus. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's super like fascinating out there uh, idea. Like, yeah, really cool. Yeah, it's great. It allows us to like, not, now yeah, sorry, I can't hear else. Chad on on my end. So I was kind of listening on another device, which is just like all out of sync. But uh, no, thanks for sharing all that info about the uh, the new. I guess you call it cold vaults. Yeah. So cold vaults, cold nodes. Actually, still working on the name. You hear me? Okay, or no? I can. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think Throw can hear me. Or your cow. I can hear you. Sorry. Cow, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I can hear cow. you too. <laughs> I think, I, I, cow, yeah, I think you're just like five to 10 seconds behind cow, but uh, wow. I think, yeah. All right. Sorry. Or maybe not. It. Now it sounds like, wait, say, say something. Yep. Right now. Okay. Yeah. I think you're back. I think we're back. We're still uh, back. What's, what, uh, <laughs> I, can't, I still can't hear the other chat, though. <laughs> uh. I, I, I could hear him through uh, my, my other. It, it, trust me, it, there's, there's a juggling process going on here. But, uh, yeah, the, the cold Freaking store. Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Should yeah. I leave and come Go back? On. Please fix this platform. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully we can like you know really just get that design and just like kind of run with that in, in the future. It sounds like a really interesting like second half of the year like kind of project to focus on after all the other projects that we already got going on. Yeah, he's already connecting, but but yeah, agreed. I mean single-sided rune like and and any idea that potentially brings in single-sided rune is freaking fascinating so yeah. stoked to hear it testing testing Cal, can you hear me yep gotcha yep good sorry it was my fault too i tried to go off my wi-fi so that wouldn't be a problem but then it just created the the problem itself so. <laughs> yeah well, so one of the fascinating things is like how the tdl like the tdl cap is calculated would be slightly different than the way it is now. So right now it just calculates it based on like the total value in the pools, right? Which is 
basically the same as the total value in the, in the Asgard vaults. But now it's it's be calculating based on the total value in the Asgard vaults, not total value in the pools. And so the um, you can you can scale the amount, the pool depths to be you know three five x larger than the value of the bonds of the bonds of the validators combined and still maintain economic security in that scenario, which is just like that kind of blows my mind in the matter of speaking. And so you can really like allow the, the pools to get a lot deeper and with maintain the same validator set as we have now, which is kind of crazy. And yeah, and just locking up a whole bunch more room. In locking up a bunch more room, like create another demand center for the rune asset as well. Right. Cool. Thanks for sharing yeah. all that. Anyone uh, want to come up and ask any questions about a anything really? Uh, I guess. I guess in the meantime, th there is one thing. Tomorrow morning, uh, we're doing a Twitter Space with RocketX, which is a exchange. Uh, it it's kind of like a. a uh, a centralized exchange aggregator. They, they have a bunch of different routes. It's like any other DEX aggregator, but it uses a lot of centralized routes. They just did an integration with Rango. Uh, so we're going to hop on with them tomorrow and just kind of uh, share about, uh, you know, uh, about, about ThorChain. Just spread the spread the word over there to, to their audience because uh, they have our routes on there now. And we, we're very competitive in pretty much uh, a lot of the major swap sizes and routes. So pretty happy with that they, they sort by like actually by execution and uh like at, at a good number of sizes we're actually on the top of that list so just happy to see another 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 integration go through uh and yeah we're, we're going to do a twitter space tomorrow morning at like i believe 10 a.m eastern so if anyone wants to come up and ask about anything else about Cold wallets, uh, sorry, cold vaults, uh, streaming swaps, etc. You probably already went through this, but it already exited my brain. So, so where would the yield for the rune staker come from exactly? Oh, this for the the gold note stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'll walk you through it. Um, so you, starting off, you have, you have the system income of the network, right? Which is comprised of the swap fees plus the uh, block rewards, right? That's the total system income of the entire network, right? And now mm -hmm. we, have, we have the incentive pendulum that kind of distributes that value, right? Towards the LPs versus towards the, uh, the nodes or the validators, right? So forget about the LP side for a second, just focus on the validator side. So, so we'll just, let's just call that hundred rune is, is the is the reward for this particular block just arbitrarily. Um, Fifty percent of that rune goes to validators immediately, right? So they're they're going to get half that just right off the bat. They already get half of that value. So fifty rune is already going to their into their wallets in matter speaking. And this is partly to to ensure that like running a validators is will probably always be more profitable. And it's kind of ensuring that that, that running a validator will be more profitable, you know, of, of value per per rune. Uh, be more profitable than running, you know, one of these kind of uh, lower lower level cold wallets in a matter of speaking. So you give them 50 initially, you got 50 left over. Now we have to decide, you know, how much of this 50 goes to um, 
to the nodes, the, the, the validators, and how much goes to the cold wallet kind of operators in the matter speaking. And so this is calculated based upon uh, a couple different things. One is we have to look at, this is calculated on a per asset basis. And so we split that 50 up into like, okay, this much is applied for Bitcoin, this much is for Ether, this much is for Doge, this much is for this, whatever it is. All that's relative to like probably the, the value of each of those assets in the network. Bitcoin's worth more than other ones because there's more Bitcoin in the network in terms of dollar value. And then once within those assets, we split it up um, between validators and cold wallets based upon the amount of cold versus the amount of hot, kind of balancing these two things out, right? And so if you've got, if there's, you know, no Bitcoin and there's like, someone put their first Satoshi in on the cold side and 99.99% on the hot, then, you know, basically. Yo. Hey, hey. Got rugged. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. We're back. Uh, yeah, I've just this, this short little recap of what I was just saying is that the yield comes is basically shared. The yield that the current validators get today, they're going to share some of their yield with the cold, oper- cold node operators. How much they share is just about how much value they provide to the network. Does it take some away from what will it like lower incentives for regular nodes in the short term? Well, lower incentives for regular nodes. Um, yeah, I guess so. In some sense, like those people will, will receive less of a reward. Like, like, like hypothetically right now, let's say I had a bunch of room on the sidelines here and I wanted to, to bond up with a new validator. And if I were to do that right now and turn to the network, you know, tomorrow, or whatever, then every validator that's currently in the network before I join would get slightly less income than they did before because now they're sharing it with, you know, you know, 91 people instead of 90 people. Right. And so that's already true in today's network of like, if more capital comes in to bond the network, then that, that is shared, you know, each individual who's earning capital before would get slightly less because they're sharing it with a larger, they're going to have a slightly smaller percentage of the pool in a matter of speaking. Right. And this is just like another mechanism that somebody can contribute to security, in which case adding to security means that that, that liquidity is shared, you know, uh, uh, di- differently in a matter of speaking. But yes. Got it. Makes sense. And conversely, like if, if I am a validator right now and I do have a, a node with a million rune in it or whatever the hell it is, then and I decide I know I don't like this. I can go ahead and leave, 
and the act of me leaving causes the yield to increase for the remaining people behind, right? I'm guessing also like a lot of node operators are obviously rune whales and they might like have more than enough for one node, but like not enough for two and they might do both. Even. Yeah. Like they could do, they could do both. There's no reason why you could, yeah, you could totally do both if you would want really wanted to. But in the end, like it, it's just like this concept would allow us to double, if not, you know, nearly 10 X in terms of like what we can st- store safely and securely on the network, uh, the, the pools in the network would, could greatly increase from this, right? And still maintain economic security, even though we don't have 10x the bond on from the validator side. It's just providing through other, other mechanisms. And that's really like, even if a, a couple of validators leave or whatever, because they don't, they, want the, uh, they don't want to share their yield or whatever it is, that I'm actually perfectly fine with. I mean, I wouldn't do that if I was a validator, but if somebody wants to, they can. And to be honest, like losing a couple of validators because of that and then gaining two or three times the amount of capital we can store in the pools is like totally worth it. So question on that. So wouldn't a node provider's uh, return also potentially go up though? Because as you raise those caps, more capital can come in, more swaps, lower slippage fees, you know, the whole flywheel. And so wouldn't that potentially kind of cancel the potential loss out? Uh, good question. I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, you're right in the sense that uh, if we get more capital comes in for the bond by these cold nodes and, and pools get deeper, deeper pools does create more fees and more trades and more of that kind of stuff. And so that naturally will increase yield for the, for the, the system income of the entire network, which will obviously trickle it back down to those, to those validators. What the actual balance is between those two things you know, who knows, but, uh, I, I, you're, you're, you are fundamentally correct in what you're saying though, but it's, we don't really know, like if we get a two X, if we get two X in in TVL, do we get two X in in trade volume? I think they're largely correlated, but I'm not sure if it's like a one-to-one in that, in that sense, in which case the yield would, the liquidity fee income would, you know, double in that, in the hypothetical, but the bond reward would not because the bond reward's the same, doesn't matter how much TBL there is or how many swaps there are. But at the same time, well, then maybe the fact that we got double the amount of liquidity in the network, that creates a bunch more buy pressure on the rune asset because we're, you know, the number of LPs has increased or the capital LPs are providing has doubled or we've, you know, doubled the number of savers or whatever the hell it is, um, or created another uh, demand center for rune. People want to earn rune in their room, like, another reason to buy a rune and so like all that creates you know buy pressure on the rune asset which if that's the case then the yield goes up because the block rewards value per block is now more than it was yesterday so it's 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 a complicated thing a lot of kind of different angles to look at it but you bring up a valid point very cool thanks so much guys always a great chat yeah what's up grassroots Hey, Chad, how you doing? What's up, brother? I've just got a question. I'm a bit, bit different here. So there was a discussion regarding the revamp for Namir. I think it's uh, issue 1510. I just wanted to to see whether you had any more information. I mean, Lena said it might be fast-tracked. Um, and that's giving nodes a bit more power uh, over controlling the set of the network. I just wondering if you had more information on oh, that one. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember, 
refresh my, my memory on this one. This was one is like um, it's the restructuring the way the admin mirror works and and stuff to decom yeah. that process. Yeah, right. Yeah, to a degree. Obviously, some points and some things like you know pause lending might be needed to to enable um, features when they're introduced. So some controls needed, but um, you know I think expanding the control up um, beyond the 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 make pause and, and halts and stuff like that. Yeah, I think um, I think that idealistically speaking, we, we in the long term we want to get rid of uh, the Mimir admin. It, it's it played a good and practical you know um, use for the protocol and it's like growing phases and, and uh, ideation and uh, beta phases and this kind of stuff. But over the long term, we actually want to get rid of it. Um, and I think part of what this was proposing is that like that a minority of nodes can enact a change in uh, any particular Mimir. I think it requires like maybe two or three different nodes to, to agree on something to, for it to be set. Uh, that is assuming that there isn't a consensus on uh, some other setting of that same configuration. So it's just a way for us to kind of like, you know, uh, get the nodes to play more of a role in managing the network rather than uh, the Mimir admin uh, doing that. And I think that's a, probably a good thing in the long term. Um, we have to do an audit, though. Before doing that, um, we have to do an audit of those Mimirs and, and maybe uh, demolish some of them so they're not so they're not, not Mimirable uh, before doing something like this to make sure that we know that what the risks are of you know one or two nodes maliciously changing one of these Mimirs and then causing some sort of downstream effect that could be you know bad or dangerous for the protocol. So there's more auditing that needs to be done uh, and research needs to be done on that kind of thing. But I think I think it's a good idea in the long term. I don't know. I don't think there's any plan right now to, to implement that anytime soon. There's a lot of things kind of in movement right now, but that's something something for the long term. All right, cool. That's all for no, no, no. Yeah, the audit needs to occur first. Yep. Good question. Hey, Chad. That's all I have. How's it going? Hey, how are you? Good. Uh, just had a quick question. Uh, so, in like five years, what do you think is the uh, final form of torching in terms of your vision? Uh, if you were to like bullet point all the uh, features that it can have, uh, multi-chain swap, streaming swaps, uh, lending, you know, go down the list. What What is the final form would look like in your vision? Um, the final form, like as I would say right now, and of course this is like I'm privy to changes at some point in the future if there's reason to. But uh, the intention that I have in the next five years, hopefully, is for Thorchain to become a the biggest exchange by trade volume uh, in the world, bar none. Uh, bigger than Coinbase, bigger than Binance, bigger than Uniswap. Uh, bigger than all those guys uh, and doing more trade volume and better price execution than all those guys can uh, reasonably execute on. Um, that's one of the things I think I'm really interested in getting into a place. I think we're we're getting there with streaming swaps. We're getting there with finding ways to scale the security of the network, scale of the pools of the network, all this kind of stuff. Um, that's the first part. Um, I think I'm hoping that lending will be successful in what it's gearing to do. Obviously, I don't know that it'll be successful. I think it will be successful, and I hope to be successful, but 
it's very novel. It's very new. Um, and so we really can't put all our chickens into that, into that basket quite yet. And technically we, even if it launches and it, and it goes very well for the first few months or whatever it is, we don't really know if it's successful quite at that point either. It really, it's really going to take um, at least one, uh, one bull market and one full um, bear market as well. So we probably won't even know until like the end of the next bear market, whether or not the lending design works on the long term or not. Uh, so it, it's going to be, we can't count our chickens too early on that particular one too soon. Um, I would like to see order books done on ThorChain uh, being one of the like best places to, to make orders. And then the other thing I would really like to see done possibly uh, if we can figure out a good implementation of it uh, is perpetuals. Um, perpetuals allow us to do like, you know, to almost instantly do a 10 X in trade volume. Uh, we can accomplish that without having Oracle dependencies and which is what every other DeFi um, perpetual has some sort of terrible Oracle dependency. Uh, if we can accomplish that task, I think that would be, um, that'd be pretty, pretty amazing to do. Uh, at that point, ThorChain that would just become so ingrained and integrated into every wallet and every DEX and even most centralized exchanges that it would just become one most critical and bare uh, fundamental pillars of the entire one of the fundamental uh, infrastructure pillars of the entire industry. Whether that happens in five years or not, or ten years or not, I, I, that I, I couldn't tell you that. But that's that's my intention. So that, that's one I'm making um, uh, ideas or, or or advocating for certain positions or whatever. Like this, it's in guidance of of that viewpoint. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, I think the key part of that is really just baking it into as many places as possible and just having more and more protocols that rely on ThorChain to, you know, execute cross-chain trades and just really lean on the strengths of, of this network and just just really be just becoming the, the backbone of cross-chain DeFi. Like, that's, that's really, yeah. um, you know, what the end state has to be. And like, you know, whatever features are on top of that, whether there's, you know, whether they figure out perps or not and like all the other stuff, um, you know, what what features are on top, like doesn't make so much of a difference as just like being the backbone for everything. So. Right. Yeah. There was a, I saw um, Jay Powell the other day, who's like the uh, chairman of the Fed chairman. And he was saying how like Bitcoin has staying power. Right. And it's, it's his way of, I think, just acknowledging that Bitcoin's not a like a fad and it's not going to go away. And I think part of the reason why he says that is because that Bitcoin is so integrated into so many different industries and businesses that it becomes, you know, hard to remove it. Right. So many people are, are, are critically utilizing it that it, it kind of just has this adoption that's hard to undo. And because of that, it, it makes it more safer, more safe as an asset. Uh, because it's just like ingrained in so many things. And I, I, to, to Kao's point, it, like I would love to see the same thing happen with ThorChain where it's just integrated with so many different um, uh, places, uh, both centralized and centralized, that it just becomes ingrained to everything and people can't imagine a world without it, right? And then it becomes like uh, indispensable. At that point, like, you know, it's staying power is basically forever, more or less. Cool. Any more questions? 
Yeah, does anyone else want to come up? Sorry about the cut in the in the middle of that, but <laughs> the, uh, the the rugging is nonstop today. God damn it, Twitter. What makes me sad is that Twitter really does have, have the the uh, ability to become like the world's largest like radio network slash podcasting place. Like it has the ability to be literally the center of all that, and this is what we're stuck with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Forget about it's, kindness. They're they're on like the skeleton crew, I guess. Right, still. So like, they don't have as many people working as they used to. What up, kindness? Hello. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning this kindness. Hello. Hey, What's do you have a question for us? Yeah, I have a little question. I um I love the um engagement on um touching. It's nice, but um, despite the current state of the market, um, Tor is actually at 0. 0.9. So I guess, I don't know, it's more like a statement. As the bull run approaches, we are expecting Tor to definitely go higher and have a, have a new all-time high. So I don't make a statement here if it's, uh, of course, it's because there are more engagement and so many more events are coming up from what we've discussed so far. Cool. Thanks, man. I'm not sure if I heard a question there or not. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no, no. It's we're everyone's hyped up, Chad. This is we're, we're, <laughs> we're getting ready. <laughs> okay. Just some some uh, price uh, hopium. <laughs> Where price yeah. hopium. Yeah, we I mean, we, we all here. we all have some price hopium, I suppose, right? But I would say, like, just stay focused on the fundamentals and stay, keep shipping. You know, thinking the long term, not the short. I know. Well, it does bring me a lot of faith, just like because there really is never stop shipping it's like there's always like like we're always iterating and just like doing something but it's not just building something for the sake of building something it's building things that need to be built right and putting yeah. and putting them into places where they need to be so it like it, it doesn't feel like oh you know this is just like you know this is just some kind of like useless project that just like does you know that it just does things just for like tokens or or whatever like this is this is building infrastructure for the entire the entire industry like that that's why this this whole thing is different than like pretty much anywhere else that, that i've seen at least on like twitter or just like anywhere else that people like talk about this, this stuff like this is a it's a completely different conversation that we have here because we're like you know we're actually thinking about how we can change the space going forward and bring the services that that uh like people need to, that, we, that we want people to rely on and people want to rely on it uh so yeah absolutely brought up Mm, Rune Rambo, something. You there? You're muted if you're trying to speak. Ah, yes. Thank you. There you are. <laughs> Hello there. 
the question is, is there an endpoint available in Midgard or Thornodes for querying if synth minting is available or not? Currently, it's not because of the hard cap, but the pools still show mints, minting synths is available. Um, I think the quotes endpoint uh, already does this. It kind of like figures that out when you do a quote for for swaps. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure about Midgard. I haven't I haven't looked at that code for forever ago, literally. Um, so I can't really tell you that off the top of my head. But I think this quotes endpoint will tell you whether it's you can mint since or not. Okay. Yeah, if you tr if you try to do a quote, um, it'll say like failed to failed to simulate swap, uh, like hard cap exceeded or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although, actually, that, that's reminding me that that is one thing that uh, the Thorwall team asked to put into the the next version, just for like something to check for the hard cap, like an endpoint to easily query. So that I, that should actually probably be added. I need to look into that. Because that would that would make a, a big difference just in terms of, of UI because it, it confuses people because they're like oh it's, it's it says like ninety percent it's like twenty percent full but it, you can't add so it's like just having another flag to just say like is there room or not uh, I think it could be useful. Cool. Yeah, one hundred percent. Second question, more of an idea: Would it be ever possible to make a shared? The synth pools between Maya and Torchain, something like cross-platform pools. You mean like a synthetic Torchain Bitcoin and a synthetic Maya Bitcoin pool? Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, I don't think that we would do it on our side, on the Thorchain side, but I think Maya could do it on their side. You know, I don't see why they couldn't do it. They just have to lock up some synthetics into their um, Thor address on their, their on their network and do churning and all that kind of stuff. I don't see why not. Cool. I will talk to them. Yeah. Thank you. Yep, no worries. Cool, guys. Uh, any last stuff you want to talk about? Or anyone else that want to come up? Not for me. Good for me. All right. Let's ship it. Uh, see you next week. Sounds good. All right, guys. See you guys. Chat later. <laughs>